make some space on the outside and kind of congregate inward, that'd be great for the people that are coming a little bit later. Thank you. Um, so today's teaching text comes from Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Um, welcome back. Why am I saying welcome back? I'm the one that's been gone. <laughs> that's weird to welcome yourself back, isn't it? That's, that's weird. Um, I have been gone for a couple of weeks, back and forth a little bit, uh, just with the events of our church over the last couple of weeks. But um, one of the things that uh, struck me over the last couple of weeks is how amazing you all have been at caring for and serving and loving one another and serving our church. Um, for those of you that don't know, and we'll get into the text in just a second, but for those of you that don't know, um, one of our teammates, staff members, and members of our church, Mark Lewis, passed away two and a half weeks ago. And so uh, it's the first time our church has ever had to walk through this sort of space and figure out what it means to mourn and to grieve and to even be a part of a funeral service and all of that. So it's very unusual and strange for us. Uh, and so we're trying to still figure out, like, what, what does that mean? How do we make sense of all this? Um, but one of the things that has been really beautiful for me to watch and participate in and even receive is watching how many of you have just said, I'm all in. What do you need? Let me just show up. And so even at the funeral, um, all day long, just dozens of volunteers from our church, you showed up, took time off of work, you were there, you were present, you were there for hours on end. Some of you didn't leave till 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night that evening from St. George's, from serving and stuff. And then a couple of weeks um, in on Sundays, like all of Mark's job and role, you have begun to absorb and just say, I want to be a part of helping and all of that. So I actually, this is a really serious and sad time in the life of our church. And I don't mean to be like uh, disingenuous or or sort of like schizophrenic in our emotions, but I also want us to be like appropriately celebrate what God is doing in our church and celebrate you who continue to consistently show up and serve. So if it's okay with you, I would actually love if you've served in some extra capacity, volunteered for Mark's funeral in some way, you showed up to Yami's house at the apartment, you continue to show up early on Sunday mornings here, you stay around to help serve, to try to catch up some of the slack. Would you stand up right now, please? Stand up. I'm serious. Stand up. Where are you? Sergio, Andrea, is Mindy here? Nathan Lee, Nikki, Elizabeth. I'm going to call you out. Darren, Ashley. 
You guys are amazing. We have some folks traveling this weekend that are gone, um, but you guys, you, it's been absolutely profound and beautiful to watch um, how many of you guys just are willing to just show up and to serve, and that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, a couple of other things that I just want to say at the very beginning here, and then we'll jump into our text today. Uh, we have a couple of other things to celebrate. First of all, this is the very first Sunday where Peter and Melissa and Joel and Janice are back from their extravaganzas getting married to one another. They are now human beings married to each other. This is amazing. Peter and Marissa, where are you? They're here in the very front because that's how they do. Uh, they cannot be stopped. And um, Joel and Janice, where, uh, Joel, Janice is here. Joel is in teaching kids ministry this morning. They can't be stopped either. You people are amazing. Congratulations. Okay, so that's incredible, that's amazing, and let's pray. Okay. Uh, God in heaven, uh, we believe, I believe, that your word is not just good, but it's true. And in a world where we like to debate the truth of things and the value of things, and we label and categorize things, we want to just say this morning, God, that we uh, we must and we choose to submit ourselves to you the best we know how. And God, I thank you that that submission, that surrendering, that sort of move toward you looks really different for each of us. And I love that you're not bothered by that. And I thank you, God, that you can take the, the, the best skeptic and the so-called best follower and we can all journey together. And so we pray that that would happen this morning. I ask that you, God, would keep me from getting in your way of doing that and that your word would be true in our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so for those of you that have been around for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been in the series called Revive Us Again, and we've been endeavoring to spend a couple of weeks looking at different examples from Scripture where there's been biblical awakening, where people have been living in one particular way, and God has intervened, and then they began to like, have this brand new, renewed, contagious, beautiful, different way of following after God. And as you know, a couple weeks ago, Mark passed away, and I flew home from vacation, and we spent some time looking at Second Chronicles and the text that Mark was actually supposed to preach last week. And Anyway, everything just is, feels a little bit upside down, and I don't know if you're like me, but also at times like this, this tragedy, you're trying to just figure out how to make sense of everything, and one of the prayers I've been praying, honestly, in the midst of all this pain and all these questions is just, God, what are you doing? Not in like a, God, what are you doing? I mean, that sometimes comes out. You've been there, right? You've been in those moments where you just, things are not going the way you want them to, and that's sort of the vibe, that's the attitude. Eh, God's okay with that. I, I really want you to hear this morning, friends, like God is okay with that tone. He's okay with that feeling. And at times, I felt that way. But in thinking about our time this morning, the, the God, what are you doing is more of like a humble, like, please lead me as you want us to be led sort of prayer. God, what are you doing in our community? God, how are you using this tragedy, this crisis to redeem and restore and renew? What, what are you up to? And one of the things that I just realized is while we spent some time a couple weeks ago talking specifically about Mark on the 31st of July, I also felt like it was just too trite and too cliche and too whatever it is for us to just keep racing after revival and not, not pause for a second and actually spend a few minutes talking about what does hope look like in the midst of our pain? What does it actually look like for us to move toward hope 
in the midst of our doubt and our criticism, our critique, our skepticism. And certainly as times like these, if you're like me, we begin to ask really big questions. We have large questions. It's, it's, it's time for us to move past the small ones about like whether, you know, uh, all, well, whatever, I don't even know, all the small questions. <laughs> and we begin to ask really big questions about the existence of God and how our theology makes sense, suffering and pain and mental illness and challenges and tragedy and cancer and I don't know if you know Renoj. Renoj is a part of our community, just celebrated his 27th birthday, and was struggling with headaches and not feeling well and some other symptoms, and finally was convinced to go to the doctor, so he did. Three weeks ago, after work, goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you have to go to the hospital right away. So he checks into the hospital. He's thinking, still in his suit from work that day, I'm just going to go home, and it's just going to be a couple of hours. They checked him into the hospital. He has a very treatable form of leukemia, 27 years old, Woke up that morning with a headache and a couple of other very just normal symptoms, and that evening checked into the hospital with leukemia. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that position. I'm pretty sure most of you have not. Maybe you've had a family member or a loved one, a roommate, or somebody who has. But when you're in that moment, when that is your life story, you are filled with questions, big questions. I asked Renaud if it was okay with him for me to share part of his story and bring him up this morning. We're going to pray for him in a little bit, and he said it was fine. So don't think that just because I'm going to pop into your hospital room that I'm just going to share your story the next Sunday in front of the entire congregation. Boy, you, that guy is just always sharing everybody's business. Most of the time, I do a pretty good job of asking permission first. A couple of times, you have to go back and say, listen, I, you know, forgiveness, you know, instead of permission, but most of the time, I get it right. But we have this big question about, does God exist? The question of, does God exist, looms heavy in our souls and our minds in moments like this. And, and like, honestly, friends, like if, if there's all this suffering in the world, if there's all these challenges of mental illness, if cancer is a reality and it's not a respecter of persons, whether you're 2 or 27 or 87, then at some point we have to wrestle with big questions, don't we? We at least have to be honest with the fact that we have them. My friends, I wonder if, 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 if the question about if, if God is out there, why doesn't he show up? That's a good question, but I wonder if there's a better question. I wonder if the better question is actually, if there is a God, does he actually care? You see, because I think if there is a God and he doesn't care, then what's the big deal? If there is no God, same, same result. But if there is a God, does he care? Answering that question, I think, changes everything. So does, does God care? Does God care about Mark and Yami and their pain? Does God care about you sitting here this morning with your big questions, with your concerns, with the burdens that you carried in here with you that you can't quite seem how to get rid of? Does God care about Renoj and his cancer? Does God care even about healing our community this morning and tomorrow and the next day? So we find this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 2. This is a very familiar story. We catch up with Jesus, who is now popular. Tons of people have heard about him. They're all over the land showing up wherever he is, and he's teaching in this particular house. I love this story for a lot of reasons. One reason I love it is because Jesus is just teaching the word. That's what Mark chapter 2 says, verse 1 and 2. It says, Jesus is just teaching the word, and crowds showed up to listen to him teach. People were so hungry to hear God's word. They were hungry for change. They were hungry for life change. They were hungry for something that mattered. 
And so while we try to figure out life moving forward without Mark, as Yami tries to figure out how to move forward, as we all try to figure out in the midst of our questions and our pain, does God care? I think we turn to Mark chapter 2 and we begin to see that God shows up. One verse in particular, I just forgot to mention, one verse in particular has been especially close and important for me in these last couple of weeks is Psalm 30 verse 15. It says, weeping may endure for a night, Weeping may endure for months. Weeping may last for years. But joy. But joy comes in the morning. I love this psalm because at some point the psalmist David had encountered the reality of pain and knew what it was to sit in grief, to weep, to long, to have big questions like, is God there and does he care? And yet he also recognizes the promise and reality that at one point down the road, maybe joy, joy is on the way. I've done a a little bit of, unfortunately my story, guys, um, I've been close to pain and death and mental illness and suicide and tragedy and accidents and all, all, like I've been very close to it for a long time. It's part of my story for some reason. I was talking to one of you, uh, I think it was Louie a couple weeks ago, and he just said, yeah, I've never been this close to death. So all of our stories are very different, but I've been close to it. I need verses like Psalm 30, 15 to remind me that joy is on the way, that joy is out there. If we do any kind of studying and research, you find out that for most people that feel like they're at the end of themselves, at the end of life, for most people who actually go through with taking their own life, 90% of them suffer as a result of some form of mental illness. So I want you to know this morning, even, that as we're talking about this, we're talking about it because it's important. We're talking about it because if we don't, it continues to live on as a stigma, as though maybe you have some kind of problem that, it, that is worthy of shame that you're not supposed to talk about, and this, that's just not true. We're talking about it because I actually do believe that God cares, that God comes close, that God wants to speak into your story and redeem and restore and renew what is broken. And so as I think about this text in particular, as I think about the crowd that's gathering around Jesus in this house, the house is packed. It's a very familiar story for those of us that have been around the church or any kind of scripture study over the period of time and understand that a group of friends are not willing to let their one friend who is paralyzed continue to suffer. They knew there was hope in that house and they were going to do whatever it took to get their friend to him. They tried the front door and it was blocked. They went around to the side to the windows. They couldn't get in. There was too many people. And so they innovated. They, 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 they were ingenious. They just figured out what they were problem solving, like the best of them. They said, we're tearing the roof off of this thing because we will do whatever we have to to get our friend help. And so in this story, I see just a couple of things happening. And I wonder if part of our journey toward hope in the midst of pain is to learn from this text, is to learn from these men who refuse to let their friend suffer. And the first thing that I want to point out from this text for us this morning, friends, is that we all suffer from something. We are all suffering and struggling in one way or another. And I think that's part of what the enemy wants to do in our lives is to try to isolate us and lie to us and tell us that somehow we are unique in our pain. Now, what I want you to know this morning, friends, is that you are unique. You are special. You all get a blue ribbon, okay? Give yourselves a round of applause. You're special. 
but you're also very alike. 1 John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The apostle here is trying to get us to understand that we all carry with us the mark of sin. The stain of pain is in our story. We cannot escape it. No matter how close to death your story has been, no matter what like, ups and downs or roller coaster or stable life you've had up until this point, we all come in here with at least the stain of sin in our story, and we all struggle with something. We are all on a journey toward healing. Here's the thing. I think any one of us could be the man on the stretcher. I literally believe that every single one of us could replace the paralyzed man on the stretcher with our pain, with our story. And maybe your life is okay right now, but at some point, either in the past or in the future, you belong on that stretcher because life just feels like you just can't keep going on. The pain feels too big. Any one of us at any point can experience depression or other mental illnesses. At any point, the sin in our lives becomes so overwhelming that we just don't quite know if we can ever push on. One of the things that's really challenging to me, friends, in times like this is people say the most ridiculous things. Can we just be really honest this morning? Don't Christians say the dumbest things sometimes? Okay, I'm judging by the giggle that half of us believe this to be true. And for some reason, when tragedy comes close to home, we have a propensity to say even more stupid things more often. Why isn't it okay for us to just sit with one another. Why isn't it okay? Well, and let me just say it this way. Instead of in the negative, let me say it in the positive. Friends, it's okay for you to be completely clueless about what to say. And in that cluelessness, just sit with your friend, with your loved one, with your family member. Sit with that stranger and just weep or be quiet and just know that your presence matters. We show up and we sit down and we say the most ridiculous things. We try to make sense of things for ourselves and then we share that with the struggling one, the, the, the loved one. We, we try to make sense of it and console somebody and we only add more ridiculousness. Somebody said to Renaud, I don't think you would mind me saying this, somebody said to Renaud, a, a healthcare professional said to Renaud, don't worry man, this is a baby cancer. Thank you. That's a stupid thing to say to somebody who just found out they've got cancer. Now, I'm sure that person was well-meaning. I'm sure they were trying to console and help him understand that this is something that's treatable, and it is. It's a very treatable form of leukemia, but it's still cancer, and he's still 27, and he was living his life in this direction one day, and the next day he's going in this direction. Somebody was saying at the graveside, the funeral, Mark's funeral, and they said, oh, well, it was just God's, God's time to take Mark home. And I stopped them. I literally grabbed their arm, and I looked them in the eye. And this is another minister, by the way. And I said, I, I, I don't mean to correct you, but I completely disagree with you. I actually see it completely differently. I want you to know there's a difference between God's sovereign will and his permissive will. And God's sovereign will is not surprised by Mark's death. But God's permissive will allowed this to happen, but it was not what he wanted to have happen. It is not in God's heart for Mark's life to have ended at 30 years old the way it did. It is not in God's heart for Renoge to have cancer. It is not in God's heart for my dad to have taken his life 12 years ago. That's not what is in God's heart to have happened, the brokenness that is in our world. And so we say dumb things. 
with people, trying to make sense of things. But I want you to understand, friends, there is suffering in the world because we live in a broken world. And because of that suffering, we all, at some point in our story, belong on the stretcher. We're all the same. This isn't even just the thing that Christians believe or that's theologically accurate according to, uh, to doctrine, but this is something that the rest of the world is beginning to pick up on or has been talking about for a long time. Even Apple in their latest Olympic ad, you see this ad, you've seen it, it's pretty spectacular actually. Apple's put out a lot of bad publicity in the last couple of years, but this one they got right in my opinion for what it's worth. But this Poet laureate says, we are, all, we are more alike than we are unalike. Even she's realizing and understanding that while there are differences and uniquenesses and beauty and diversity, at the end of the day, we are all human beings and our human story unites us because we have an enemy that's lying to us and trying to convince us that life is hard and we should give up or we should stop trying. And I want you to know that anytime you hear that story, that's a lie. That we all suffer, we all struggle we all, every one of us, could be on that stretcher. Second thing that I see from this text is that the suffering of the paralyzed guy on the stretcher is not defined by his disease, is not defined by his illness. My suffering does not define me. Say that with me. My suffering does not define me. Friends, so many of us need to know this truth. So many of us need to be set free in this this morning. That whatever burden and struggle you came in here with, that is not your whole story. That is not how God sees you. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says of people who are following Jesus that if anyone is in Christ, that person, he or she is a new creation. The old things have gone. They've passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Some mysterious, beautiful, transformative thing happens when a person gives their life to God, follows Jesus with their whole heart, not perfectly, but just says yes to him, and something mysterious happens in that person's heart, and their heart of stone and sin is traded for a heart of flesh and life. Do we still struggle? Yes. Do we still have challenges? Absolutely. But at that point, your suffering no longer defines who you are. I mean, can you imagine if we treated one another based on the worst thing we've ever done and we know about each other? Oh, wait, for a lot of us, that's called reality. But what if it wasn't reality? What if we refused to put each other in those boxes? What if we stopped labeling one another? What if we stopped trying to define ourselves? What if we gave ourselves a kind of permission to not be defined by our worst decision or our biggest struggle right now? How freeing would that feel and be? So you're not fill in the blank whatever your current struggle is and current pain is. God sees you as one of his. He sees you as his kid, as his child, as his son, as his daughter. He sees you as beautiful and whole and perfect the way he made you. And I want to tell you, friends, in talking with Yami over the last two weeks, like we want to be really honest with ourselves, with one another, with, with, with us as a community about what took place. But, and part of the challenge is we have no idea, actually, because none of us were there. And yet we do know, we do have a choice, we do have power, we can step in and we can say, we will not remember Mark for an act of indiscretion. 
We will not remember Mark. We choose to remember the whole of Mark's life, not just one episode of his life. Our suffering doesn't define us. We will not allow this to define our perspective of who Mark was and is. His legacy will continue to live on as a humble, faithful servant. Thank God, God doesn't see us and only think of us as our biggest screw-up. So I want you to hear pastorally from me, friends, this morning, that God cares deeply about you and that he does not see you based on how badly you've screwed up. And I wonder if he's waiting for some of us to accept that truth and reality over ourselves. The third thing that I see in this text from Mark chapter 2 and these friends who are carrying this paralyzed man in through the roof to meet Jesus to find healing and redemption and forgiveness and freedom is the recognition that we need one another. You and I need each other. And that's been one of the most difficult and also profoundly beautiful things of this journey. Because I don't know about you, but as a person who tries to help others all the time, it's sometimes really hard to receive help. For those of you who are in the helping industries, you understand what I'm talking about. I was talking with a, um, a life coach, somebody who actively works to help people um, find rest and rhythm in their life, and she said it's actually, as a healthcare professional herself, as somebody who's in this self-care industry, she said, we are the worst people at taking care of ourselves. We need the most help in opening our lives and our stories up to others to receive care. And I want to say, just you people have put on a clinic of caring for one another and of reaching out to me. The text messages, the phone calls, the emails, reaching out, the visits, all of it has been profoundly helpful. Thank you. Here's the, here's the challenge, though. Anytime there's a point of crisis, anytime there's a ground zero, the ripple effect of time takes place, and the further away, the more removed we are from the epicenter, the more likely it is for us to go back to normal life. But I want to tell you something. Yami's life will never be normal again. Yami's life changed forever. And in a lot of ways, our community changed forever. We will never be able to tell a different story because this is our story. But the challenge for all of us is figuring out a way to continue to provide care for one another, for Yami, for me, even though time will continue to move on. So would you be okay with, with, with would you in a way, in your own way, in your own mind and heart this morning to say, I, I, I want to just confess, I need other people in my life. I cannot do this by myself. And I will endeavor, I will commit to being a part of the story with others here in this church, in this community. So there's no shame in seeking help, friends. And I think that's one of the things that maybe if, if we're ever the person on the stretcher, we feel embarrassed about it, don't we? Do you think the paralyzed guy, though, felt shame? I mean, I, I, the text doesn't really tell us how long he had been in that position, but everybody knew him. Everybody knew his story. Everybody knew that he couldn't help himself. So do you think at some point he just sort of like embraces it and it's okay? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever accidentally broken a bone? Raise your hand if you've ever accidentally broken a bone. A leg, a finger, an arm, a nose. We won't tell that story. Anybody? Okay, a couple of us. When you broke a bone, were you afraid to tell people? Were you somehow like, oh, I don't want to, I'm going to just hide in my apartment, in my house for six weeks until I get the cast off. Most of us, especially the younger we are, we get a cast, we want the world to know. (laughs) We're like, look, I broke my arm, you're just walking around with the thing, people are signing it, you're just ready to go. 
I remember cutting my finger open one time. I was about 16 years old. I went to help a friend, and her car had broke down. And so I reached underneath the hood to grab the latch to pop the hood open, and my finger slipped on this old 1973 rusty Plymouth dart. It was a Dodge dart. Anyway, so my, my hand slips, and I slice my finger open right to the bone. It was terrifyingly painful. And I went to the doctor in the emergency room, and they put the stitches in. They did the, the whole thing, whatever, and they were trying to, like, wrap it up. And, I, again, I was 16. I, he was, like, trying to make it all look pretty. I was like, no, 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 doc. Let's get the biggest whatever you've got. You want to just go ahead and splint the whole arm? Let's do that. I want the sympathy. I want the girl's attention. I want all of it. Just give it all to me. When we have particular types of pain, it's just like, especially physical pain, like, yeah, I've got a terrible headache. We tell that to people, coworkers. We want to take some medicine, whatever, et cetera, right? But when it comes to things that are happening internally, why do we suddenly feel like we have to put a bunch of walls and curtains up and act like everything is okay? I want to tell you, friends, that is a terrible weapon that the enemy uses to try to keep us isolated and alone and frustrated and unhealthy. Now, I'm not telling you that you should go just spreading all of your, all of your internal frustration, pain, struggles with everybody, because not everybody can handle it, and you should invite everybody into it. But I want to tell you something, friends. You cannot do this by yourself. We cannot pursue hope, we cannot pursue healing, we cannot live the fullest life that we were designed for and made for by ourselves. We need one another. We need each other. We learn from each other. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a fantastic passage of scripture all through 2 Corinthians, but here in particular, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. The Apostle Paul went through a tremendous season of pain. In fact, his, most of his life as a follower of Jesus was riddled with persecution and pain. Several times he was whipped right up to the point of death. He was chased and confronted and imprisoned and constantly pursuing God and found a way to have hope and joy in his sufferings. And one of the realities for him was that as he experienced the suffering and pain of life, he knew that that would give him the opportunity, the tools, the ability to step into somebody else's pain and be hope and healing and comfort and joy for them as well. Now, I'm not saying that that's the specific reason why we experience pain or why God allows it, but it is a way that we can redeem the pain that we have. We're made for one another, friends. So we can sit down and just be present. We can sit down and share in our stories and find solidarity, find solace, find healing and hope. Look at this slide. We won't take the time to look at every one of them, but there are 59 different places throughout the New Testament and scriptures where we have one another phrases. This is just a small snapshot of them. Write these down. Take your phone out and snap that. We'll put it on the World Wide Web later. But you need to be reminded friends, that we are meant to do life together. That what we're doing in this room is only part of our story. That we actually step into a brand new space we're invited as being a part of the family of God, the church of God, and stop judging one another, but actually move into a space where we become the comfort and the healing that we so desperately need. Because I need you, 
and you need me. Can you imagine if we stopped judging each other? Can you imagine if we gave each other the permission to be who we are, even in our pain? Can you imagine if, if, if we just created the space with the right people to just say, man, what's really going on? Somebody asked me this morning how you're doing, and I just said, you know what, I'm doing okay. I'm really sad. I'm still really sad. But I'm okay. And so we have to give each other permission. And then finally, friends, I think in this text, in this story of Mark chapter 2, I see and we realize that we actually not only are all on the stretcher, but we all desperately need Jesus. That there's no other answer, solution, way about fixing the pain in our life, of finding hope in the midst of our pain than through the person of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, the apostle says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other solution, friends. There's no other option. One of the reasons why we can be sad but okay is because we know that the story, the the thrust, the reality of Mark's life was not rooted in, in, in pain or turmoil necessarily, but was rooted in following Jesus Christ. He loved God deeply. And you don't have to be a pastor or on some pastoral track vocationally to, to be a kind of person that loves God deeply and has hope and joy eternally, sal- have eternal salvation and security. You just have to be a person who says yes to Jesus. That's, that's it. That's as simple as Jesus makes it. He just says, follow me. Confess your sin and follow me. Believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he, was, li- he lived a perfect life, that he was a perfect sacrifice for our sins and he took our sins and God put our sins and punished Jesus on our behalf. That he was crucified, buried, and rose three days later completely and totally destroying sin, death, Satan, and hell. That's Jesus' story. That's who Jesus is. That's the truth of the gospel. And every single one of us needs Jesus desperately. Just like that paralyzed man. When that paralyzed man was lowered down through the roof and Jesus saw him, and he saw the man's faith, he saw their faith, Jesus act with compassion. And what's the first thing Jesus said? Did Jesus heal him of his sins or heal him of his physical ailments first? He healed him of his sins. Jesus saw into this man's soul, into this person's greatest need, and he said, your sins are forgiven. He started with his heart. In this particular case, in this instance. And then he healed him of his physical condition. Does God care, friends? Does Christianity work? Does the pain and struggles that you're facing somehow get, get wrapped up in the midst of your theology, of your doctrine, of your practices and following after God? And I would say, I really hope it does. Jesus cared deeply about this particular man. And he healed not only his heart, but also his physical need. He told him, get up and walk, get out of here. And he left through the front door. And everybody was amazed. Now, I don't know why God doesn't heal every single paralyzed person. I don't know why God doesn't heal every single person who struggles with some form of of internal struggle, of mental illness, or whatever the case may be. I don't know why that doesn't happen, but I believe that God still can and does. I believe that it's in God's heart to restore what is broken. And I believe that we all still need Jesus desperately, and God shows up and cares. I think he cares more than we can ever possibly comprehend.
so we can share with one another. I went to my therapist this week, friends. I can't do this by myself. We need to be in a position where we can trust one another, but I also want you to know that my counselor cannot fix this by myself, by himself. But I desperately need Jesus. And so I just wonder, in the midst of all of your story, in the midst of how you're wrestling and struggling with figuring out how do we as a community heal, how do we find hope in the midst of pain, I wonder what Jesus would say to you. I wonder if a group of us, just knowing your story, would just like grab you by the arm and the legs and the shoulders and say, we refuse to let you keep living life this way. We have to get you to Jesus. I wonder what Jesus would say to you this morning. What would he speak into your story? Would he invite you to give yourself the permission to not see yourself by your worst pain? Would he say, would you finally, would you finally please trust me with your entire life? Would he say something else? So I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion. But before we do that, there's just one other slide that I want to share with you. And it's just the reality that I think because we have so much pain in our stories, because there's so many of us that struggle and wrestle with these things that, that for the most part we don't talk about, at least our society and culture doesn't want us to talk about. I just felt like it would be really helpful for us to also just point you to a couple of tools, needs, resources, opportunities out there. Professional help exists within this community. If you're struggling specifically with grief, with loss, there are mental health professionals that are in our church that have said, count me in, I want to be there. We want to put you in touch with them. There's no shame in reaching out. If there are big questions that you have, um, not even just about suicide or mental health issues, other addictions or struggles that you might have, these are just two possible places for you to go. They're rooted in the web, but they have resources all around the world, all around the U.S., here in the city especially. My friends at To Write Love on Our Arms, if you go to that website, there's a spot there where you can click. There's resources all over the city in a bunch of different categories. Let's not be the kind of people that refuse to, 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 to reach out. Let's not be the kind of people that hide in shame. Let's be the kind of folks that would dare to invite others in, to recognize that we're all the same, we're all struggling, we're all suffering, and that we all need Jesus. Will you stand with me and close your eyes, bow your heads? Just pray with me. Dear God, I pray that you would be so insanely present with us in the midst of our pain. God, that even in our doubts and our questions, we would find that you are not only present, but that you deeply care as well. God, we pray that you would continue to push back and resist the work of the enemy in our lives and in the world, that there would be greater peace and hope and joy and presence and kindness and love and unity, God. Father, we pray that for all of us that are struggling with things that we've told people about and things that, that, that maybe nobody's ever heard come out of our mouths, maybe we're the only ones that know about it, God, I pray that you would come close, that you would come quickly, and God, that we would find healing and rest. And Father, for those of us that have never committed our lives to you, I ask, Lord, that you would set us free to do that this morning, even for the first time, God. That we would find true hope and salvation in you and you alone. In your name we pray. 
Amen.